This is Paul Schneiderman today on the 35th edition of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. I have a very special guest today, a very famous former basketball player, Joyce Walker. Joyce, I'm going to give you a little more of an introduction in a minute. But today, as my engineer, we have Daniel Billis. Be sure to tune in to Rainier Avenue Radio for our sports other shows. We are on the World Wide Web at rainieravenueradio.world. Our sports department has various other good shows hosted by Rick Dupree, Granville Anderson and Renault Laurent co-host a show. Masvita Marari hosts a show, Seattle Sports Weekly. Mark Bryant hosts a fitness show. And Pat McCarthy now hosts a show on the Seattle Metro Athletic Conference. I want to give a little plug to my Rainier Avenue sports colleagues. So, Joyce, I'm going to give you a little more of an introduction now. Uh, Joyce Walker is known as the greatest female basketball player in Washington State history. Joyce was a star at Garfield High School. She played at Louisiana State University. Joyce, I believe you also played professionally in Italy and Germany. Joyce was one of the first female players to play for the Harlem Globetrotters. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Really cool. Joyce has been a basketball coach, and she was the coach at Garfield High School in Seattle for many years. And Joyce was portrayed as the Garfield coach, the real-life Garfield coach, in the great 2005 basketball documentary about women's basketball, Heart of the Game, one of my favorite all-time documentaries. Uh, Joyce right now is involved in the Rejoice Academy, a nonprofit foundation. Today, Joyce, we're going to talk a little about your career, your life, and your thoughts about all sorts of sports-related issues. But uh, first of all, thank you for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Thank you so much. It's really good to be here, Paul. Thanks, Joyce. Um, Joyce, I know you have California roots, but you grew up in Seattle, and basketball has been obviously a very significant part of your life. How did you get the basketball bug as a young girl? Well, I don't, I don't recall playing the game my first seven years, but when I moved with the rest of my family in the late 60s, I had a younger brother. There's 10 in our family, but the younger brother's assignment was for me to follow him wherever we went, and uh we popped over. We lived off of 22nd and Olive, and the YWCA is sure. right there on 23rd and, um, and Olive. And uh, and he did something remarkable in my life that I'll never forget is that when we were picking teams, he picked me first. And so there was an instant love to the game. It's like my brother picks me first, and it had a, a great impact on me. But from the time I put the ball in my hand – we formed this relationship that has carried me so many places and so many avenues and given me so many lessons along the way. Just developed a love of the game as a young girl? <clears throat> Just developed a lo- young, uh, the love of the game. Um, and uh, I think it was through competition. You know, when you're the only girl out there playing with the boys, you got figured out, right? And in the beginning, the ball was behind me. But I just kept showing up every day, and I wanted to be good. And, and it became... Um, just, I would go to the gym every day and just work on it, and uh, it really... And you gave, got pretty good at it, by the way. I got pretty good at it, and it gave me exposure and opportunities that maybe I couldn't have otherwise have gotten. Fun background. By the way, I have a, a little niece who plays basketball now at that same YMCA. So, awesome. Yeah, I, I love it. So, Joyce, you played at Garfield High School in Louisiana State University. You're going to talk about your, your high school career and your college career. And you set scoring records at Garfield and at LSU. You had a, just a really good career. And did you experience, Joyce, this may, you probably never had this question before, but I, I want to ask it. Did you experience any jealousy from any of your teammates? And what kind of life lessons did you learn from being a big star? Well, I don't know if I – maybe I, I 
experienced some jealousy from my teammates, but more so I got it from the boys because I was a girl, as I got better, that could walk into the gym if the teams were already picked. Somebody was going to be on the sideline and I was being picked, you know, in the top five. And so I think that I think one of the greatest lessons I've ever gotten is that if you love something, you chase after it. And when it doesn't go your way, um, you show back up. So I, I think I had a resolve because um, I had a clear, distinct goal probably when I was about 10 or 11. I wanted to be the best basketball player in the world. And it wasn't gender specific. So I got a lot of uh, challenges from the boys in the neighborhood. You know, that's a great fun thing about interviewing Joyce. I, I didn't see that answer coming. I thought maybe there were some girls that you played with that – where the jealousy came from, but it came more from the guys. So Yeah, it came yeah. from the fellas. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, Joy, so you did a little bit of a reverse thing than my uh, one of my guests, Eldridge Rakasner, did. You probably know Eldridge. Yes, And Eldridge grew up in Louisiana and went to the University of Washington and played basketball. And you grew up in Seattle and ended up going to the Louisiana State and played basketball. So I, I just thought of that as I was preparing for your interview, how you and Eldridge did a little reverse thing, although you're both living in Seattle now. Um, tell us, as a teenager, how did you choose Louisiana, Louisiana State University? Well, I think... Uh my senior year, I had about 350 offers to go anywhere in the country, right? But there was this guy, and rest in peace, his name is Coach Christy Christensen. I'm telling you, he knew everywhere along the way my senior year where I would be. And my, he fell in love with my parents. He'd show up at my house. That's back when you could just recruit. It was a whole different thing in recruiting right. back then. Um, my parents became enamored with him. And uh, my senior dance, guess who bobs in? Coach Christy Christensen, and, and, and I can still see him today and uh, asking me for a dance. And But what he did was he gave a commitment to my parents that uh, we will take care of her, and we know she's one of the best. And, and back then the SEC was the number one power in the world for women's basketball, and so I wanted to go. I believed that I could play with anybody. So um, instead of going to the Tennessees, um, the Georgias, the Louisiana Techs, I wanted to go somewhere where I could make a mark, and it turned out to be the LSU was a great place for me. This is Paul Schneiderman of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with basketball great Joyce Walker. And that would be a really good fit for you, LSU. It was an amazing fit for me. Um, and it also culturally uh, gave me other ways to look at people as well, you know, because the South is a total different than, than Seattle, Washington. And But what it did was the game always allowed me, I had good coaches, but the game always allowed me to see what others brought to the game as well. I was a student of the game. Joyce, we only have 27 minutes today. I'd love to talk all about your basketball career, right. but we're going to get to some other subjects. and I kind of keep things moving, but um, I know you did really well there. But after LSU, Joyce, I believe you played pro basketball in Italy, in Germany. What was it like playing pro women's basketball in Europe in that era? Well, um, that was our avenue. We didn't have an avenue like we have now, which is an amazing thing. Um, uh, wherever the ball bounced, wherever um, I could get in the game, they were just natural um, avenues for me. Um, playing in Germany was, was amazing because you got to learn a little bit of the dialect of the country. Playing in Italy was bananas because <laughs> the, the passion that they show at a, at a football game, Italian football, they show the same um, in a little small town that I played in called Skio, probably about an hour and a half from Venice. Um, it, it, I just got the gift of meeting new people and still knowing that the ball goes in the basket no matter where you are. Those were good years? Those are great years. Joyce, you mentioned it a minute ago that there wasn't the same avenues as a woman's pro player as there are now, although there's still some barriers now we can, we'll, I think we'll get into later. But... 
Do you have any regrets that there was no WNBA in the 1980s? Well, I'm not sure if I had any regrets because when you're a young athlete, you're living in the moment. You know, you sure. you just want to go play wherever you can play um, because of the love of the game and the talent that I had. Uh, what what I will say is I'm really glad and really proud that I was a part of some of the planks that got laid down for our babies to be experiencing what they're experiencing now. To see the game, to have the game not evolve would have been I probably would have felt the, uh, totally different. But to see. Um, the exposure that women's basketball is getting now, um, job well done. It, it has a ways to go, but it's come a long, long way, hasn't it? It's come a long, long way. Um, salaries uh, need to change. Um, you know, there's a market out there for the game, but we need to continue to grow the market because we got basketball players. You know, someone called me the other day. They were tweeting when the Storm were playing and said, could you have played in that era? And, you know, the answer is absolutely. I would have loved playing in this era that we have now. But to see um, across all the vista of the talent level is pretty amazing. I bet. Well, I'm going to ask you some more questions later about college and Mm -hmm. pro basketball. I just want to go into your life and career a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, Joyce, I believe you were the third Mm -hmm. woman to play for the Harlem Globetrotters? That was the second. The second? Okay, Okay, Mm -hmm. my bad. You're the second. And and how was it being a, um, a female basketball player playing for the Globetrotters in that era? Well, I was already a uh, uh, precondition for it because all I knew was playing with the guys growing up. So I didn't really have, um, of course, we had separate locker rooms. But other than that, I was game for competition no matter who I was going up against. And um, But I think the most ima- important thing for me was the Globe Charters represent the ambassadors of goodwill. And to uh, have that opportunity to travel the world and to put on a show, um, bringing happiness and joy uh, through competition, um, I think those are things that have stayed with me throughout my life. If you're just tuning in, it's Paul Schneiderman, host of Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with basketball great Joyce Walker. But the Globetrotters, Joyce, there, there's been some, you know, you go online, you read a lot. You can't take mm-hmm. literally what you read online. But there's been some mm-hmm. thinking among some about the Globetrotters that the Harlem Globetrotters does not stereotype African Americans very well. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, no, I, I don't really know if I have any stereotypes around that. I know that um, it's a show. And so it's important to remember it's a show. And uh, to see women come on and be able to hold their own. Um, but it was a lot stronger back in the days. My first year, Curly Neal and Man Like Lemon, that's were their last years. And so I got to see the depth of the match that, that went on. Those are their last years. And so... Um, so I got to really see the magic of it. Of course, it's it's, it's a, a more of a marketing tool now, right? Um, to really sell and generate uh, more fan base. But there's some people I know over the years, back in the '60s and the '70s, and even even the early '80s, that remember the magic that would occur once we got into that magic circle and the game began. Those were two legendary players you played with. Legendary. Very legendary. Legendary. Curly and Metal Metal Dark. Metal Dark. Metal Dale. Metal, metal Dark. Metal Dark. Yeah. I, I always mispronounce his name, but he I, I did see the Globetrotters play when I was a kid at the, going to the old Seattle Center Coliseum right. and right. some some good memories. Well, that's that's a, definitely a fun part of your basketball history. You know, I had James Donaldson on a few weeks ago. And mm-hmm. James played for the Globetrotters mm-hmm. for about a year, and, and James, I think he liked it, but he, I think he had a little more of a mixed experience about right. it. I I, I, may, I think maybe James found it. I can't speak from entirely, but he kind of indicated in the show maybe it was a little. Too showy for him? Did you did you find it that way at all? Or well, remember I was at the height of my playing, so sure. any t- opportunity to play, um, 
Um, I, I just knew, and it was drilled in me, this is entertainment, Joyce. But there, I got to tell you this. There were some times where the ball was supposed to go to Twiggy because he had the purse and the show. No, I was going to the basketball <laughs> bucket. So, right, so right, right. I, I don't know. I, I, I took it as what it was. You know, of course, it wasn't where I could run up and down and play 35, 40 minutes. But there were some magical personalities. There was an entertainment was, aspect yeah, to it. Yeah, and that's what it was. Sure, yes. sure. Joyce, I'm going to move to a few more subjects now, and I read about, I did some pre-show research about you. I had fun reading about you and learning about your career, and I'm going to ask you a little bit about your thoughts on addiction issues. I know that you've, you've, you've encountered some yourself, and we have so many people in prisons right now doing time for drug-related possession offenses. We're warehousing so many people in prisons right now. Would you like to see more of a decriminalized approach to, to drug issues? Well, I think if if men or women have access to treatment, they can get education. You know, um, and I was really lucky because I had the foundation of, of sport. And so what I learned early on was that whatever you're going through, first you got to own what it is that you're going through, and then you got to get people around you that can help you walk that walk, particularly in those early stages, right? And so I, I definitely, the more access to treatment people get, I think the more we can heal in certain parts of our country. And because uh, uh, an addict's going to do what an addict has to do and less treat it. I was just wondering if. A lot of people believe a more decriminalized approach to it, more, maybe more of a health care treatment approach to drugs could serve society better than more of a punitive approach. Yeah, I think um, there's consequences for our behavior no matter what it is that we're into. It doesn't matter what the ism is. Sure. Um, the more access we're versus sending this man to jail for five, ten years, maybe we send him to treatment for a couple years. Right. And give him an opportunity to, to get his feet up under him and get some real education and get some people around him in a society of people that have found a way out. So I would definitely... Um, be an advocate for that route versus um, um, just locking them up because there's no healing in that. Some people can heal from that, but the vast majority can't. Well, I think your feedback is very insightful and, and helpful. And, uh, hey, on sports and stuff, we talk about lots of stuff. So I wanted to get your feedback, and I, I think the listeners will appreciate that. Paul Schneiderman, again, on sports and stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with basketball great Joyce Walker. Okay, Joyce, so one of my favorite documentaries, I mentioned it off the air in the beginning, is that great 2005 documentary, The Heart of the Game. It takes place in Seattle at Roosevelt High School. I'm an alum of Roosevelt. And I don't know why that movie wasn't nominated for Best Documentary that year. It's just a terrific documentary. And you coached Garfield at the time. And Roosevelt and Garfield have always had a traditional rivalry. And the movie goes way beyond basketball. It goes into sociology. And in the movie, the movie focuses heavily on our former Roosevelt player, Darnelia Russell. And Darnelia had to fight for right to play based on an eligibility rule. Did you support Darnelia on that issue? Absolutely, because here's the thing, even though I coached at Garfield, all the babies in the neighborhood, I considered them my babies, because we all were in the gym together, training together, learning together, and for Darnia to take a stand and to have people rally up around her, regardless of the fierce competition we had between each programs, you wanted her to have that opportunity, because that means we were moving in the right direction. You know, I wanted to ask that, Joyce, because I don't recall, I've seen that movie several times, but I don't recall if your position on Darnelia's situation and her right to play came out in that movie. So I was just curious 
where you were right. on that. Well, I, I don't think that that question was really asked of me because it was already being chronicled to the people that were supporting sure. her. But, you know, we'd spend time together. You know, uh, she would be in our gym. We'd be in her gym during the spring and summer. We were collaborating. So we always had uh, some of us don't need to be out in the forefront. You know, it's like on the sidelines saying, you know what? We advocate for you. Um, we want you to have this. And um, just giving her some tips about, you know, you got to fight for this. You know, this is important enough. The fact that you had a child and, and struggled academically in parts of your life didn't mean that your opportunity should be diminished anymore. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, Bill Ressler, the Roosevelt coach, passed in 2017. I knew Bill a little bit. Not well, but I knew him a little bit. Rather eccentric women's basketball coach. And he was unfortunately or no matter how, whether how you look at it, fired as a Roosevelt Women's coach about 2007, mm-hmm. not too long after the famous documentary came out in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ask you about Bill Ressler. Do you have any thoughts about Roosevelt's decision to let Bill go? And what was Bill like as a coach and as a man? Well, I'll say this. Uh, Bill was an amazing innovator. He could take what he had on his team. He may not have had the best team, but those kids believed in his philosophy of getting after it, you know, being as raucous as you can be. Um, he was a really good man. Now, we had some moments where we just didn't like each other I bet. Um, in the spirit of competition. But I got the, uh, the opportunity to go speak on campus at UW while he's a professor and really talk about, you know, the importance of what team looks like. And But he was a great – I was sad the day that he – um, was let go because he built something really special there. And, and the one thing I can say about Bill, even when I see his former players today, in fact, I live in a, uh, a condo where one of his players live, and uh, we have this little wink, wink, nod, nod. And every time, every now and then we talk about how he just inspired them. They wanted to run through a wall to play for Coach Ressler. Well, asking Joyce Walker a question about Bill Ressler, it's like asking Nixon or Kennedy about a question about each other. You guys were two definitely competitors, and it's fun to hear your, your perspective on Bill, and definitely write him rest in peace. So yeah. I, I uh, was curious to get your take there. Paul Schneiderman, again, on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio with uh, Joyce Walker. Joyce, um, women's college basketball. I mean, of course, I could ask you so many questions about the sport. But I'm reading a lot that there are some competitive balance issues. University of Connecticut, I think, has won like 10 titles between 2000 and 2017. A lot of pundits believe the mid-major teams really don't have much of a chance. Is that a concern for you about the competitive balance of women's college basketball? Well, I think uh, back in the 80s, it was competitive a lot of different places, even in the 90s. I think as, as, as we move forward, um, we can't fault Gino Arimo. Look, he built a brand. And players wanted to come and play for that brand. And so we've seen some of the greatest players over the last 20 years come from this program. I, I, of course, as a competitor, you want new blood. You want, you want new competition, right? Um, and it's starting to happen now. Bill ain't won the last. Uh, Coach Ariano has not won the last two. So, so we're kind of getting there. But we still have the same, the Notre Dames. You know, we have some of the, the Florida states. We have some of the same teams. Now Mississippi State's in there. So, so, so it's starting to happen, you know. Um, but it's been a long time coming. And, of course, college women's basketball is not the only sport that has some competitive balance issues. Look at the NBA right now. Only like right. three or four teams will have much of a chance to win right. the championship. Right. So, um, but anyhow, I, I want to get your perspective because that, that's a subject that's coming up when you see one or two college women's programs that seem to 
do well. But you, just, you know, just came back and mentioned the last couple of years, things have taken a little shift. Yeah, they've, they've taken a shift, and, yeah. and for the good. And, and I just think that more former players are starting to be coaches now. Look at Don Staley, you know. I mean, at, at, at what she's done, you know. She's back in the SEC, and, and they're doing great stuff. And so when you get some former players with the aspiration to be a coach, then you can start to draw. And, I, and I'm excited about players taking a chance on themselves and saying, let's go over here and build something, you know, versus let's just go to the run of the mill. We know what the top dogs are. Um, but when we get that, when people think outside of the box and go other places. And you do that at LSU. It, it, yeah, it's yeah. the game. Right, yeah, right. I, I, I could have went to Tennessee. I almost went to Tennessee with Pat Head Summit. But I wanted to go somewhere um, where maybe we could put that program on the map. Pat was a real legendary coach, too, wasn't she? Legendary. And, and I'm telling you, she's one of the co- toughest coaches I ever played for. But she made you toe the line, and she expected greatness all the time. Joyce, Adam Silver, NBA commissioner in April of this year, said a problem the WNBA has is actually not enough young women are watching the sport. According to Silver, I'm just quoting Adam Silver, I don't know if this is entirely accurate, he says older men are watching the WNBA more than young women. Why do you think more young women are not watching the WNBA? You know, um, that's a very good question because even when when I was coaching at Garfield, we would talk about, you want to be good at this, you want to play at the next level, go watch the craft. You know, because I think in society we're so stimulated in so many different ways and so many avenues, you know, um, that uh, our kids have more options. But I know that until we get to that place, where I, and I'm concerned about that, because until we get to that place where uh, the women that play in the game that have aspirations, not just the good ones that know their way of kind of paved and they're going to get a scholarship and have an opportunity, but... Um, you know, the more we as coaches talk about it with our kids and expose kids, and one of the things I do at Rejoice is every year we take, we buy, we buy a set of tickets, and, and I just take kids to go watch the storm because, you know, the more exposure. And, you know, 90% of the time they're, like, enthralled. They're like, this is exciting. So I think we've got to continue to expose our kids and take, it to, take them to it even if they might initially not might think it's cool. I was just a little surprised by that because you think mm-hmm. that young women would be the major demographic of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Apparently not. So that just surprised me when I saw that. And and by the way, it seems that with that with basketball, women's basketball in general, mm-hmm. when people watch it, they tend to get more hooked into it. I I, I noticed that because you take some old school basketball fans mm-hmm. that don't relate well to women's basketball, but they start watching a couple women's basketball mm-hmm. games. People mm-hmm. tend to get more into it. Well, it's the purest form because we don't have the high fly dunks and we're not uh, relying on athleticism. We're at the, the nuts and bolts, the basic screen and roll, the pump fake, the get to the basket, the pure shooting, the movement on the floor. It really is a beautiful, it's a beautiful dance. You know, it's, it's interesting you mention that, Joyce, because the late, great UCLA basketball coach, John Wooden, who passed, I believe, in 2010. Mm-hmm. Wooden said before he passed, he found the women's game a lot more pure than the men's game. Yeah, it is, because you have to rely on the basic fundamentals, the core of the game, right? Because there's no, there's, there's, there's flash, but it's a choreography that every member on the floor needs to participate in in order for it to uh, uh, get the attention of other people. And, and I notice, and I'm a casual... <laughs> Women's basketball watcher. Mm-hmm. Well, in general, since the Sonics have left, I don't watch pro basketball mm-hmm. as much as I used to. But it seems that the, the passing, the defense can generally be more fundamentally sound. As a coach and player, Joyce, do you, do you see that in women's basketball versus men's basketball? 
Yeah, because it's not it's not really taken for granted. I mean, the men's is a beautiful game because I watch that too on a regular basis. But uh, it's about precision with the women's game, and I think that's the greatest compliment I can give. You. It's a casual watcher. I, I <coughs> sort of noticed that too. Um, there, there's some. There's been some talk, Joyce, about the WNBA possibly moving to the fall rather than being a summer league. Basketball, of course, is traditionally a, more of a winter fall and even spring sport versus a summer sport. Do you, do you think that would help the WNBA if they moved to the fall? I don't think it's a bad idea because then you got the sport, you're in the height of the sport, right? Where there's more options for more people. I know that a lot of players uh, 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 kind of seriously going to watch the, the NBA and college. You got March Madness. You got that in college for women. Um, I And I think one of the biggest problems that we are challenged with in the summertime, people like to travel. People like to get out of town and Very do true. different stuff. And so um, I always was struck by that. But not in Seattle. Seattle is a grinded out, love some women's basketball. But I'm sure in other pockets of the country, you know, they don't draw like, like the Storm draws. And Seattle Storm may be the best WNBA franchise. I think you're probably right, you yeah. know. And, and, and it's a really uh, good thing. LA, LA had a run, uh, a really incredible run for a while. But I don't I, – I'd be – um, surprised if there was another program that drew like the storm did. You know, one thing I've learned, Joyce, I had a guest on, a former professional basketball player, also played college like you. Her name is Tawana Smith. And mm-hmm. Tawana now does some financial consulting. Very interesting woman. And Tawana mentioned that women pro players still make a lot more in Europe than they do in the States. Absolutely. I mean, just for instance, I made like $80,000 back in, 80, 80, in the 84 era. And that's tax-free money. That's great money back then. Now they're making up to two hundred fifty half a million dollars, and and it's unfortunate that we have to go abroad to make a living, um, but it's also few and far between. Everybody doesn't make those high pockets of money. What well, one thing that's come up, Joyce? And this is a complicated question, and we only have about a minute, minute and a half left. But I'm reading that about six of the twelve WNBA teams suppose they're losing money. And one thing that's coming up a lot is more revenue sharing for WNBA players. I guess the NBA players get about half the revenues and a revenue sharing agreement. WNBA players get about 20% of the revenues. Would you probably like to see more revenue sharing? Well, yeah, we, we'd love to have more revenue sharing. Um, but also, you know what? A doubleheader won't be bad sometimes either, though. So if we did it in the fall during the NBA season, we might be able to draw more. I mean, it's the same monies, but, but still, there'd be that more exposure. You know, at times you can't probably do it all the time, but yeah, uh, right now it's it's uh, there's no equity in, in what's going on um, with the game in that respect. Your doubleheader idea is uh, really fascinating. Joyce, I think we have less than 30 seconds left. What does the future hold for Joyce Walker? Well, right now we're just building um, Rejoice Fundamentals Academy. We're, we're using um, sports connected with, with STEM. So we're just looking out there to expose our kids. We take what kids like. But we also want to give them some of the things that they need. Get them exposed to the next app or how to create your own story or how to get into the sciences. Because we know it, as society moves, the sciences opens up avenues and it provides an opportunity for people to create their own vistas. Joyce, thank you so much for coming on Sports and Stuff on Rainier Avenue Radio. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure.